The Song of Solomon, otherwise known as the Song of Songs, was the wisdom book of the week for theology and donuts a little while ago. And we read aloud, and we wondered, and we sometimes laughed at those famously fleshy, sexy, poetic stanzas. And what followed was a very insightful and thoughtful and quite mature, I might add, conversation about love, and sex, and passion, and women, and men, and their bodies, our culture, and the culture in the church. Both in the strangeness of the ancient world in those weird verses and our own 21st century quagmire. And the whole time we tried to keep as a frame of reference this one question. How will this generation, the next generation, work towards a more robust and healthy theology of the human body? During question time, I did have to occasionally remind the group that this was theology and donuts, not biology and donuts. And as such, some of the questions could be put on hold for maybe a conversation with your mom and dad, or maybe your science teacher or health class, and hopefully Hank and John have a crash course you can watch. Song of Songs is a tremendously popular book, and over the centuries of writing it, The interesting fact about it is that it doesn't ever name God in any of its pages. But it spends a lot of time celebrating the human form, the physical body. It's all five senses. It delights in so many body parts. With tenderness, vulnerability, and excitement. Eyes, and lips, and teeth, and hands, and feet, and tummies, and thighs, and skin, and belly buttons, and... Other parts, because yeah, Song of Songs is sensual poetry for lovers. These verses have been making readers blush for generations now. But even still, the writer never flinches or looks away. This is embodied celebration. This is earthy and alive. Song of Songs is like those original humans discovering one another in the Garden of Eden for the very first time. In the midst of all that euphoric, poetic bliss, there is one huge takeaway from the Song of Songs, and it is this. There are no bad body parts. As creatures formed from the earth and God breathed into life, made in the image and likeness of our Creator, Fearfully and wonderfully made, as the psalmist says, our bodies are blessed, our bodies are beautiful, our bodies are sacred. With all of their shapes and their sizes and their features and their lumps and their blemishes and their bruises and their histories. What an indignity, what a tragedy, what a shame. That so many voices and markets in our culture, our media, our language, our history, and even our religious upbringing have so often named and shamed the human body as gross, yucky, and icky, and embarrassing, and shameful, and disposable. If the church is to be a prophetic voice in this dehumanizing age, 
A healthy theology of the body is as vital as ever. How will this faith community work towards a robust and healthy theology of the human body? I'm here for this conversation in whatever form it takes. Every week, or every month, we read the Apostles' Creed, or a creed like it, and the third and final section of the Apostles' Creed goes like this. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. From the very earliest days, followers of Jesus have been resurrection people. We are not escaped from this mortal husk and float away like a ghost from one of those Red Bull gives you wings commercials. Easter people are resurrection hope people. Fun fact, there is one gospel song that has been recorded more than any other gospel song in history. Do you know what it is? Choir. No, any guesses? It's not really fair. Sorry? No, it's not Amazing Grace, but that's a terrific guess. Albert E. Brumley's I'll Fly Away. So many legendary artists have recorded this tune, even Bob Marley. And as catchy and historically significant as this classic song may be, When I Die, Hallelujah, By and By, I'll Fly Away is biblically problematic and it's just bad theology. That's because the expressed hope of the Christian faith found in Scripture again and again is not an escape from this world. Our hope is the promised redemption for all creation and us with it. Even as I say this, I do want to say that I understand the sentiment of that famous song. I'll fly away is the cry of a person whose life is so difficult and desperate. Escape from this body's ache and struggle seems like the best possible outcome. Our world can be such a cruel and unfair place. And for so many people, I understand how escape might seem like the final merciful plan. But the promise of scripture is not an escape plan for the human race. The promise of Scripture is God with us in the flesh. The Gospel of John opens with these verses that tell us that the cosmic architect of the universe became flesh and walked among us. Jesus of Nazareth in a human body, not a distant cosmic force or an abstract heavenly being, but an invested participant, our accomplice and partner in the human venture, Our maker took on flesh like us and became a body knit together and comprised of the same rainwater and minerals and stardust. Our maker lived among us with all five of his senses experiencing the universe. He was a son, a brother, a friend, a a citizen, laughing and walking and winded and weary and hungry and thirsty and eating and drinking and digesting and sweating and sleeping, weeping. 
The embodied Christ was acquainted with the human struggle. Betrayed and bound and bleeding and wounded and pierced. But then after all that walking the earth and serving and suffering and dying, the resurrected one stood finally in that fearful room, surrounded by his followers and his friends. Today's second reading from John 20 is a masterstroke of a human body theology. And this passage might not be as spicy as Song of Solomon's ecstatic, sexy love poetry, but this story is no less intimate or beautiful. Because Jesus' risen body is a sign of all of God's hope for humanity. It's a glimpse of what resurrection looks like. It's a celebration, an affirmation of our human body. Because the centerpiece of this story isn't some guy who was late to the meeting. The centerpiece of this story is Christ offering his risen body for his disciples. Peace be with you, he says, breathing Holy Spirit life into them. Blessing his followers and sending them out for holy purposes as his agents. And then, one week later, Jesus pops in for a second visit just so that that one anxious disciple who missed out on that first party wouldn't be left out. The risen one. The wounded one. Offering his scars and marks for disciple scrutiny. The marks and the wounds are still on him. Jesus didn't do a trade-in. This is the risen body. He still carries the marks left by a violent world. Jesus still bears those marks. This is what resurrection looks like. On his way out, with a final word, Jesus blessed all the rest of us. Latecomers really latecomers, who missed out on that first meeting, followers still of that wounded, risen one. And we too are keepers of bodies. Our own, yes, no question. Honor your own body. But our task as a people is to honor and care for and protect and heal and bless those bodies who dwell in and around us. Because we too stand in the company of fearful and troubled persons. And we make space. We make time. We share our wounds with one another. Offering what we have. Asking for what we need. Because we need to see and touch and connect. We need to be seen. We need to be heard. We need to be recognized and celebrated. We need friends who meet us where we are and friends who stand with us. These are the basics of the human needs. They're simple and they're humble. They're not always easy. 
And they look like mercy in meals and clothes and generosity and hospitality. They look like human dignity and agency defended with our whole hearts, our hands and our feet and our voices. Because this is our practice of Jesus' tenderness, embodied vulnerability. It's truly, explicitly, gloriously human. And of course, we people are still unlearning the disembodied habits of this world. Even as we repeatedly learn the lesson that we creatures are connected in more ways than we could ever know, one biomass inhabiting this planet, breathing the same air, drinking the same water. And so we wait still with all of creation, so eager to be made new. Because even if it's true that bodies are the place where the shameful and the bad things happen, only the worst religious voices would ever tell us that our bodies are evil or dirty or disposable. Our bodies are where acts of justice and mercy and works of love and kindness happen. Our bodies are where we experience the lessons in humility and grace and mercy. As we gather, we reveal our scars and our wounds and our marks that this cruel world has left on us. And each week on Sundays like this, together we stand in a room that's sometimes fearful. Invited once again to live this Jesus way with these sacred bodies of ours. These well-worn physiques carrying so many scars and marks like that scar left by a cesarean section, marking the day that brought a child into the world, a proud and beautiful scar if ever there was one. Or that ache in your lower back you feel when the weather changes that's reminiscent of that time that you said, yeah, I'll help you move that sofa bed this weekend. And so many other blows and slings and arrows and disappointments and cruelties of this world. Some of our scars are prominent and visible and they leave us with a limp. Others are hidden and unspeakable. We carry these marks with us and we present them to our maker. Offering them as the stuff of new creation. Because we are ripe, we are ready for resurrection. Amen. Thanks be to God.